0: In
1: Kentucky, yeah, isn't my sister?
0: Are you on a workation or vacation?
1: Workation,
0: so you're working remotely. How's that going?
1: Fine. I mean, I have a few things that I can't do because of environment issues not being available on VPN, but mostly fine. I've been to Lexington and now I'm in Louisville, and who knows? I might even go to Indianapolis.
2: It's said Louisville. Oh,
1: so if you're from Louisville, you say it differently than everyone else and okay. anyone who's not from Louisville should not try and say it. Yeah. Just give up basically. Uh, so that's, yeah, that's it. But, uh, yeah. Oh, I had a thing that was a pickup from what we were talking about last week. I sent you all a standard income article. Did you get to check that out?
2: You can give me the TLDR.
1: TLDR is a standard income is excellent, and we should have one in America yesterday.
2: And what's standard income? Like everybody makes at least a certain amount.
1: Or not even at least. It's just that you get a certain stipend just for being alive. Or, you know, it's like right to live money. Mm. So you just just get it unconditionally.
2: What are some countries that do this?
1: Uh, France has it. So I think there's this called the RMI, something like that, because it's a minimum income. The only thing is that it's more used by people who are like people who are just out of school, who are kind of getting their stuff together. And then there's some areas people that use it more. So in France, it's it's what you get if you don't work. But you can also have a standard income system where just everyone gets it, which is what America should do, because then it would be also popularly supported like Social Security.
0: So what's your update?
1: My update is that there's this really cool article by a Dutch guy, and I posted it in our chat room, and it's good. That's really my update. It talks about that there have been standard income experiments in America and Canada in the past. Also, it has a great title because it's why we should give free money to everyone. And so it's nice. It's it's really well written, and I think it's it's very interesting, well-researched, et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, that was one of my follow-ups from last week. And then mostly I've I'd, i I'd been traveling, getting to Kentucky, driving a whole lot.
2: Did you drive there?
1: Yeah, we did it all in one day, which was wow. a lot. Yeah, we haven't done that in a while. So we we got up in the morning and then just drove.
2: How long is it drive, is it?
1: About 11 hours. That's not bad. And then, of course, like at the very end, we missed our exit. And so then we added 20 minutes because we had to turn around. Mm. That was painful. We were so close. Oh, and I couldn't get food at the place I wanted to get food because we were like 10 minutes after the food ended because we had turned around. <laughs> it was it was painful. But honestly, that if that's the worst that happened, it was really fine.
2: You gave a talk last right?
1: I did. I went to Nebraska. So the, yeah, the report back from Nebraska. Uh, Omaha is cool. I went to a uh, famous vegan restaurant in Omaha, and it was super fun. And on what and did? the conference was really good. They did a really good job. It was their first year, and it was so well organized. And they did so good. And I met a lot of cool people from Oklahoma, who had traveled down or up, wherever Nebraska is.
2: What uh? What did you have to eat at this vegan restaurant?
1: I had seitan mole with corn pudding. Nice. Yeah, it was amazing. And then I had a peach rhubarb pie for dessert.
2: I had um. Uh, yesterday I had a general sales tofu. That it was uh, surprisingly
1: good. Oh, it's Suzanne?
2: Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. I love that place for lunch. It's
2: interesting that you knew where I went.
1: <laughs> I'm, like, president of Vegan Club, Jervon. Like, you mentioned General So's Tofu. I know where you went. <laughs> There's only so many places. Also, they have a great lunch special. But anyway.
0: Do you have any uh, good takeaways from Nebraska, Jess?
1: What did I... Uh, what did I learn... Oh, no, I've probably already forgotten everything. I think I bookmarked a few performance things as like things that were good. Um, I'm told that my talk went really well, so go me.
0: What was your talk again?
1: It was the the streams, the data structure, the most excellent data structure that you don't know enough about. Mm. And a lot of people came up and said that it really helped them conceptualize things. So it was really, it was really good.
2: Were there any React talks?
1: You know, I don't think so.
2: That's there good. Was,
1: there was an ES6 talk. There was. Did
2: you, did you say
0: that's good, like <laughs> yeah, I'm so sick of React already.
1: I, oh yeah, that was the other thing I was going to talk about. Oh yeah, I liked I like Nicholas uh, Nico's talk on performance. Um, he always has great talks. And Amanda Harlan had a great talk on architecting communities, which I felt bad. I felt a bit bad being the only person from Philadelphia at you know this conference in Omaha because I think that well, and I guess I mean you can. Tell the tech community in Seattle, Len, but when her video goes up, it's really good about um, like Oklahoma uh, City like basically like they they like gather together to support their tech community which i think especially for not you know i mean philadelphia maybe like we get cuz we're coastal in seattle too but for non coastal cities to actually say like like a, like when people talk about having like not having a tech scene where they're from that you can have one it takes work <laughs> and i think that that's a really good point oh yeah i think the only one that was kind of like What's related to React was this uh, one by Bruce Coddington, but it was really a lot of in-jokes for the people from Nebraska JS, and so I didn't really understand it.
2: It's interesting that you remember people's full name.
1: Or that I'm on the website, because Uh. I'm at a computer, Jaronne.
2: I'm all scared to type during the podcast. Cause Cheat
1: to win. Um, yeah, I mean, climb. no, wait, I, I shouldn't type during the podcast. But I, I on the laptop. Keyboard is not loud. Mm. I'm not using my kinesis. Oh, but yeah, Len, when you you tweeted something where you were you found an article about 13 implementations of Flux.
0: Yes, it's and you're weird gonna ha-
1: so you're gonna quit JavaScript now, right? Pretty much. <laughs>
0: I mean, it's bad enough that there's like a new JavaScript framework every week. There's like a new Flux of implementation every week.
1: Okay. To be clear, people doing new things is not a problem, but but people doing every single new thing like it needs to be the biggest thing could be a problem.
0: Yeah. So I'm in the React Slack channel, Reactive Flux, uh, and there are more than 100 different rooms in Reactive Flux. It's absurd there's let's see well accessibility makes sense but there's like there's one for like every single flux implementation uh flummox flux flexible thinks gatsby griddle i don't even know what half of these are
2: so is this an, is this a new um is this an official like slack channel from i mean uh yeah from the react team it's like for A project,
1: or that's actually that's a good question. Like who? Yeah, who like manages it?
0: I just googled and got an invite and came in. I don't. I don't really know. But just it's it's ridiculously overwhelming. Uh, So my project now, I'm I picked reflux just because that was the first flux implementation that came to mind. And wait, uh,
1: which one did you fix?
0: uh, I picked reflux.
1: Reflux. Yeah. Isn't that's that's a negative connotation though all right sorry. keep going with your <laughs> keep going with your thing no your so thing.
0: Still like five times this week i just like googled reflux and got all these uh results about Fantastic. acid reflux yeah yeah <laughs> like when you when you google a framework and you forget that the word actually means something else um yeah so anyway um i'm just having like newbie stupid issues but trying to figure out like where to actually load data so uh, we're using react router which i actually like a lot it It stole a lot from Ember router, Um, but we have a thing where uh, there might be or might not be JSON loaded. So if you look at like a certain user's profile, uh, it's like one component that may or may not need to load data. So I want to kind of use one of these stores um, and just trying to find the idiomatic way to do it. Like it appears that there is no idiomatic way. So you can let the router load data like Ember does, or you can let the component load data, or you can let the store load data, or you can let the action. Load data. And huh? it's just really kind of convoluted. There's I no thought, like, So one I thought,
1: way. I mean, this is critical, but I also did think that because the point of a flux architecture is that the flux architecture is a suggestion of a path. It's a, it's a suggestion of an architecture. Like like the same way you could do MBC, you could do, well, what like fluxes. Is Flux MVVM or what, like, if we could put Flux into one of those boxes it's or it's a vented, it's a vented architecture. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a vented architecture and or we'll go with that. But like the whole point of all these implementations of it is supposed to, you know, you're, you're lazy enough that you don't want to build a component renderer. So you use React and that's cool because you don't need to invent that part of the wheel. And then someone hands you a blueprint for how to build an architecture for it. But then you need someone else to do that, too, and then that is exactly what all those, like, you know, alt and all those people are supposed to do for you and not add more complication. These are my thoughts. Yeah.
0: So I'm just so kind of confused. I just want to build like on my own right. I honestly just would rather just use like Radio JS and like communicate that way. It just seems more straightforward.
1: Which is the Backbone event system, right?
0: No, I think. No. I don't know what its uh, origin is, but it's its own. It's its own. Or I thought system.
1: Radio Radio was related to Marionette. No, and but backbone. there
0: is a Backbone. There's a Backbone Radio, but there's also just Radio JS that has nothing to do with <sighs> Backbone.
1: Okay. I think
0: Radio.js is like 1K. It's super like. I mean,
1: I think I honestly think that if you did write your own implementation of Flux architecture, it would help you understand Flux architecture, such that you could evaluate the other implementations of Flux architecture. Which is, I, I actually do think I am. I think I would stand by that because I mean. In terms of a learning exercise as well as then you could actually evaluate the implementation that you need. And, and the whole thing is like the benefit of using a community implementation is that you have a community maintaining your implementation with you. So using someone else's implementation rather than writing your own for, you know, whatever part of your JavaScript framework, um, whether the view layer or this, you know, the, the evented architecture that those give you, if you, that's, that's why people want to use the most popular one because the most popular ones have, you know, maintainers, release cycles, bug reports, bug fixes, patches, security review, like all that great stuff that you might not be doing if you do it yourself. So... So you, you should write your own and then not use it. That's what I think you should do.
0: So, oh my God, there's so many flux. There's alt, common, Facebook flux, flummox, fluxet, lux, Mark, marty, material flux, McFly, nuclear.js, redux, reflux, Yahoo, flexible. And I know this is missing some because I know there's a fluxer.
1: That article that you posted, they, they, their pick was alt. And that's actually different than what I remembered being the most popular. I remembered when Marty was the most popular, and now Marty says, don't use Marty. (laughs) Nice. Yeah. I mean, that's okay. And I appreciate that they say, you know, this, or they don't even say, don't use Marty. They just say, this version will be the last version. We're going to stop maintaining this library. And I appreciate that transparency. Like, you're welcome to use it. It is, you know, a code library and open source, and you can take it and remix it and do what you want. But, you know... I, you know, I, it's also the thing too with open source where people, people get this expectation, like when someone's given them something, even if that thing is free, that they expect other people to take care of them, which is really, uh, just awful. Like just reading bug reports and stuff on libraries that people, you know, just, you know, report like, and reporting is helpful totally, but you know, you report a bug and then you're in a back and forth with the maintainer and the maintainer is trying to fix it and you aren't helping. You're just, reporting even though you two commenter are a software person theoretically and thus capable to help you get what i'm getting at here yes a lot of yes (laughs) yes like there's a lot of expect like expecting help but because someone published something and not offering to help because you're using it when i would appreciate the latter
2: so moral of the story is
1: contribute to your open source libraries Yay. Yay! All right, good job, everyone. Uh, good podcast. Oh yeah, we should. Um, Justin is on vacation.
0: So Justin is on a computerless vacation, which I have a hard time imagining Justin without a computer.
1: Good for him. Is he really? You do you. He
0: claimed, yeah.
1: Whatever. You do you. <laughs> no, I mean nature is cool.
0: Yeah, but if you leave Justin alone for like ten seconds, he has his laptop out and he's writing code. Yeah. You
1: like turn around and.
2: I didn't know that he was on a computerless vacation that's that's cool,
1: yeah, I didn't know it was computerless either. I just when someone's i' I've, I've taken vacations from the podcast before, so like it's okay. we can take a break
2: uh before we leave react <laughs> uh, do you know why uh they picked alt or what was the can you list some reasons or?
1: Oh, um, you know, I may have like saw all the things and scrolled to the bottom. <laughs> okay, but, uh, that's fine. oh no. So they said so alt has helpers, a more ES5 friendly syntax, um, and better support for non-React views. And the community was extremely responsive with our issue. Cool. So actually, so they picked alt. But a lot of those things are things that you know, if I were building React up, I might not give a shit about. <laughs> Like, if I'm going to write an ES6, why do I want an ES5-friendly syntax? If I'm just going to use React Views, then why do I want non-React Views support? Mm-hmm. So basically, this, this is particular to this, this one company comparing 13 <laughs> Flux implementations. And then the one they chose, I probably wouldn't agree with. Although the thing is that when I looked at Marty, the one that I remembered, it says, please use Alt or Redux. So I don't, I don't know about Redux. Redux is on its way to number is on its way to 1.0. It is not there. Mm-hmm.
2: I fairly, I, I briefly, not fairly, I briefly looked at Redux. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. So. They have a
1: really long README. That's actually usually bodes well in a way. They care a lot about documentation. Why another Flux framework? Why I am asking that question? Redux, thanks so much for dropping <laughs> for that at the top of your README. You shouldn't need a book on functional programming to use Redux. That's promising.
0: Oh, a lot of examples about ASIC uh, and routing, which is exactly my problem right now. So In Redux?
2: No, no in Reflux. <laughs> uh, so, actually promising. So, uh, last week, after the podcast, there was another podcast, the Elixir podcast, right? That published the uh, Alchemist plugin. The author of the Alchemist plugin was on it. Which Alchemist is a uh, emacs plugin for elixir and a certain person somewhat converted to emacs Who I, didn't, that
0: I didn't somewhat convert and it was funny because two days later after we recorded i was editing the podcast and it was just i, I caught the moment in history where uh, you convinced me to try emacs no. So actually this week I've barely touched him at first. Um, you know, I, I heard your case for switching to Emacs and then on my walk to my co-working place, I listened to, uh, the Elixir podcast and heard all the, uh, features of Alchemist and decided I I wanted to try it. So I got in, I installed SpaceMax and I was really impressed. Like a lot of editors claim to have a Vim mode and you know, the most basic stuff works but more complicated stuff tends to not work. But the SpaceMax implementation is just so complete. Like I forget, I just take it for granted at this point that almost anything that I would do in Vim just works in SpaceMax. So that left me uh, pretty productive out of the gate. Um, and there's a lot of stuff I like, I like more, uh, so, talk about
2: them, let
0: talk about them. <laughs> uh, so there's like a fuzzy finder. Uh, so anything, I think you mentioned this last episode, but anytime you get a list of things, whether they're buffers, whether they're autocomplete things, whether they're packages you're able to install or whether they're files in your project, there's kind of this interface called Helm, which is like a fuzzy finder. Uh, and if you don't stop typing, at least for the, the file finder, the one that comes default with Emacs or Space Max, um, it will automatically show you your most recent files, which no plugin I had in Vim did that. So I tend, to like be toggling files just just with that Uh, but i really like the helm interface i i've never found anything in vim where the fuzzy uh fuzzy file stuff was actually really good uh i've I've made it work i made it work and i adjusted but i really like helm a lot more cool
2: so that was a existing i haven't listened to the the elixir episode yet there was that one that was already in the pipeline and they just published it that day or
0: yeah it was literally came in my podcast feed like minutes after we recorded okay um, but ironically, I have not cause... played with any Elixir since because I've spent all of my non-work time just learning Emacs better and configuring it.
2: What are some hurdles that you uh, encountered or um, things so... that you were like, oh, I don't know how this works or...
0: I'm still dealing with project management. So my Vim workflow is to have like a Tmux session per project. So I just switch Tmux sessions. And normally inside of any Tmux session, I'll have two or three Vim instances. Uh, and now normally you normally have Emacs just open once. So I'm struggling with that. When I switch projects now, I quit Emacs and just restart it. But I know there are plugins to manage that. I just haven't configured and or learned any of them yet.
2: Yes, I also had that problem. Um... And it was hard for me to think differently. Um, but And some of the Emacs people you talk to kind of only live in one project, so they can't really provide advice um, or they think it's normal. But what I have come to realize is each buffer is uh, is like a Tmux window. And when you switch to that buffer, then you back into the context of the project. And then each uh, like REPL you spin up or like helm interfaces attached to that buffer so you can notice that if you like list your buffers and you can you will still see like uh the helm interface for say rails and then you can go back to that and set up kind of unpause it um and do things in there again and before like well When I first started, I would use the cd command, which is a change directory command. So I would, you know, at least say I'm working in Bundler, and then I want to switch to edit something in Rails, the actual source code. I would use cd to change directory so I can see those files in the new project that I switched in. But I just switched to a buffer that I had open in that project, and then the context of Emacs is in that project again. And I've grown used to using Eshell. Um, which is not really a good shell. It's just for basic things. But then I use like tools that Emacs provides for the things I want to do, like running tests and whatnot. Um, I do know someone that runs tmux inside Emacs uh, using ANSI term.
0: Yeah, I played with the Emacs shells and hated every single option. There's a lot of options. There's like E shell. There's ANSI term.
2: Uh,
1: Write your own. <laughs>
0: No, I just don't understand. Basically, why basically it's you should just
1: stop having a job, len, and just work on Emacs. That's <laughs> that, uh that's what you can do.
0: But I just don't see what the benefit is. So I I can have one cord that pulls my uh iTerm up, so I don't see why I'd want a window in Emacs. Besides, I mean there's like Jervon said, I mean running a command without leaving your editor is nice and seeing those results, but I wouldn't want to do shell type things in there. I can pull up iTerm just as quickly as I can switch panes in Emacs.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, for tailing logs and stuff, I imagine uh, you just go to iTerm. But the interesting thing is, uh, so tailing logs, yes, but say for closure, for example, uh, you can start the server in the REPL, and then the, the logs are in the REPL. So no need to go to iTerm for that. So that that's the kind of like, things I'm sort of mentioning that Emacs sort of provides, or the plugins. Um, to uh, kind of not have you go to the shell, uh, too high term. So,
0: and like you said, every plugin that I played with has been better for Emacs. Robe uh, and RSpec mode are better than anything I've used in Vim. Um, the Alchemist plugin is definitely way better for Elixir than anything uh, in that I know of in Vim. And the snippets, the snippets sold me. It's maybe I
2: haven't used snippets. Can you? See? Talk about it. Yeah, so
0: there's this plugin called yeah Snippet. So if you're typing something and you realize you're going to type it again, uh, you can just uh, cut that line. Uh, and there's, so, uh, I do command X to pull up a list of any function in that's available in my, in this whole scope. Uh, so I haven't, I don't have this bound to anything yet, but I basically do command X. Let's see how many of keys this is command X. And I type uh, new snippet. And like I said, this is ordered with uh, recency. So normally I don't even have to type. I just, it's either the last thing I did or I press one or two down, uh, and the command is yas new snippet. And then it pulls you in this like snippet typing mode. Uh, So you paste the snippet there and then you can put in like markers for like tab stops. So if you're gonna do like a describe and a string and then a do, you basically put like $1, $2 for every place you want the cursor to move when you like after you expand the snippet and you tab through uh, and, and type and fill it out. Uh, But then once you're in that mode, if you want to see if what you typed is sensible, uh, you can just do control C, control T to try it out. Uh, And then it just basically runs through that snippet Uh, and then just control C, control C to save. And then that snippet's loaded uh, and it assumes the mode of whatever your last buffer was. And it's basically a few seconds to write a snippet and then you just have it. And I haven't played with this yet uh, because I don't really know Emacs Lisp or Lisp at all that well yet, but you can also run Lisp inside of those snippets, which is crazy.
2: So you 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 mentioned the the key chords, control C, control C. People that come from Vim, you can also map that to a leader key, like leader RS or something. Um, Or you can do the colon and type the command out. Um, And it has great tab completion too. So if you don't want the Emacs claw, there's a solution.
0: Yeah, and that's one thing that's actually a little overwhelming at this point because so many commands have multiple ways to get at them, uh, either lead or something or control C something. It's usually like control and like a couple keys.
2: Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, I'm, I'm glad you're having a good time with it. I wasn't. I'm not the only crazy person. So I think Justin said he's going to try it. So hopefully he's a convert. Next will be Pam.
1: To Emacs.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I can look forward to being unproductive in another editor.
2: What's your primary editor these days? Still Vim? Or?
1: You know, uh, when I, I've been doing a lot of front-end web dev in like, the CSS layer, and so I've been falling back to Sublime because it has a lot of the... And I know you can do this in Vim, but I have a lot of autocompletes and things like that uh, mm-hmm. and tooling in Sublime for that. Uh, but otherwise, Vim. I actually just installed Vimium for for Chrome. Nice. And uh, actually, Aditya, who is on this podcast, is working on the a corresponding plugin for Firefox. So it's still very much in development, but it'll be cool. But yeah, it lets you use Vim commands to navigate. It's actually it's it does quickly like raise the problems though, like things that finding things on the page that aren't represented by text. So they aren't textually searchable. So for finding, so that I can navigate to a link without so I can navigate to a link without a mouse. Meh, I was just trying it. I've I've tried other accessibility tools to try and navigate the web without having to use a mouse. And I just thought about doing it again.
2: Um why are people still using Firefox?
1: Uh because the- it's a good browser. <laughs> Plenty of people use Firefox.
2: I know, but there's Chrome and Safari.
1: Sure, and there's also Opera, and there's so many other browsers, too. Uh, Web standards are good. A competitive browser market is also good.
2: Mm. I miss, uh, I miss what's it called. No, what am I saying? I don't miss, I just remember Opera back in the day.
1: It's still a thing, Jervon.
2: Also, Opera Mini.
1: Still a thing. Well, I don't know if Opera Mini is still a thing, but. There are more mobile phone browsers. That is one where that's an interesting space. People are trying to. There's a few startups. I can't remember any of them, so I guess they haven't done anything memorable for me yet. But there's a few startups that are trying to make new mobile phone browsers to to win the market. But it's a because lo- a lot. Of, I mean, it's a fair criticism. Like many mobile phone browsers are desktop browsers on your phone. Like you don't have to interact in the same way. So why not try and rethink that? It's an interesting idea. Ultimately, they would have to. Any of them would have to be the default browser on some distro, though, in order to get adoption. I think.
2: Mm-hmm. Agreed. So last week, uh, Justin and I went to Boston, also, and it was lots of fun. Boston is a pretty cool city. What did you do there? So we actually uh, just went there for the day, and Justin still had to work, so I hung out and did fun. Go to coding, and he uh, he worked. And then we took breaks and ate at interesting places or places that looked interesting to us. We had a lobster mac and cheese, uh, which was pretty delicious. The mac and cheese portion. We contemplated uh visiting like certain tech offices that were there, and then just I guess they didn't really line up with like where we wanted to eat or where we ended up in uh, in Boston, so. It was my first time flying in a very long time. It was fun.
1: I did not think you would refer to flying as fun.
2: I didn't think so either.
1: That's great. I'm glad and it I'm, went so well.
2: And I'm not sure if I was. I'm, I'm like lying to myself right now. But go I with really it. Enjoy, go I with really it, enjoyed it. So,
1: so you are ready for Strange Loop in September.
2: I am ready for Strange Loop. Sweet. I'm even more ready because the Pope will be here.
1: So to to not be in Philadelphia is yeah. Justin going to Strange Loop? No. Okay. So But he's in and not.
2: he's not affected.
1: Oh no, I just meant like in terms of oh. Turing and complete showing up as strange loop.
2: Uh, Phil, a lot a lot of Philly people are going that's at least four or five of us. So.
1: Known Philly scene people?
2: I don't know if I've known but you know, people that we know.
1: Yeah, yeah. I just want to clarify that we don't know everyone in Philadelphia. Uh, although, you know, it sometimes seems like it. But, but yeah, it's gonna be fun. So I actually am working on an article that involves React right now. Really? Why is that? Uh, because I'm writing a versus for um, someone who I guess I realized I'm not sure I can disclose that, but I'm so su- yeah whatever. Um, of React versus web components, how are they related? How are they not related? What's the story? So oh, do
2: you do those like paid blog things?
1: Do I get paid to write on the internet? Yes. <laughs> Also, well, this is in print, and then it goes on the internet in like six months or whatever. So print oh. comes first. Well, print, print or digital. Like a print. Like a, it's Is It's a magazine.
2: Okay, that's cool.
1: But yeah, so so that was why your your Flux post was so timely, Len. Because I was, this is the thing. It's like I, I, you know, became an expert in JavaScript frameworks, which then means that, you know, was it? I I don't know if I made that joke on here, but I said, you know, my book was published last year, which means it's now three years out of date. And so anytime I need to revisit the material, I have to update a lot.
2: We should have uh, coined the term JavaScript years.
1: JavaScript years, how by Turing and complete. How, how, how old, old is, it? is it in JavaScript years? So this, def- so this framework came out three days ago. Wait, but how long has it been out in JavaScript years? Like weeks. <laughs> three, a week, a day translates to a week.
0: No, maybe even no? Like, yeah, months. Like months. Yeah, the article that I posted, um, somebody said that, you know, it's from May and uh, Redux isn't even.
1: Oh, my gosh. Okay. <laughs> oh, Redux isn't in the 13? Or it's not at the
0: top. Like, alt is no. Oh, limit, right?
1: like what I said is that, like, Redux should have, or uh, yeah, Redux number one would be the winner if you looked at it now. <sighs> it's difficult. This is why, so when I do meet people in technology who are resistant to adopting simple forward-moving changes, like, you know, updating to the newest like to to a new you know like uh, here's an example so going when you know you're talking about all right it's time to move to ruby 2 remember that you know that thing that's still happening yeah. um so but the people who say you know no you know we got to stick with the old thing i do not understand how they how they survive in this industry and maybe they don't because i feel like you can't you just can't be re- like that resistant to change you have to be at least willing to look at it And I mean, that's why we do get frustrated when there's so much, but...
0: But that's what's so much better, in my opinion, about the Ruby community, because there's a clear thing to upgrade to. Like, oh, I should upgrade to Ruby 2. I should upgrade to Ruby 2.2. Not like, oh, should I upgrade to Node or IOJS? Well,
1: but that's why, but that's the part of the maturity of that community is now there's a Node foundation. And so basically, like that was, IOJS was a move in order to force the creation of the Node foundation. So by creating the fork, it forced Node to start a standards body.
0: But there's still not a clear thing to upgrade to a Node, right?
1: Like I mean, you upgrade to the next version of Node. <laughs> I think that's fairly clear. I still use Node. I mean, I think I tried IO on one project, but it made, it made makes such a not a difference that I I continue to use Node.
0: I just heard of people putting off the uh, upgrade until they were consolidated again.
1: Uh, I don't know. Maybe... I feel like, especially like, yeah, I don't know. I I apparently don't know enough about that to comment on it because it sounds like not so much of a problem to me. But because it's still JavaScript, so that's that's the thing. Is like it's like the the JavaScript hasn't changed. So like the Node stuff is what would have changed. And so depending on how, yeah, I I don't have that problem or I don't know enough about it. Do we want to do picks? Sure. So I actually did a a reading group, uh, with with some people, uh, of this super article. Uh, where is this article? Have you all heard of Douglas Engelbart? No. Okay, so Douglas Engelbart was a an interaction designer, inventor, uh, generally like famous dude. Um, but he he's well known for doing the mother of all demos. So in the 1960s, he demoed before any of the stuff existed. Um, he demoed a mouse, a keyboard, and I think some other things. But generally, the things that he demoed, he demoed you know, video conferencing, all these things. He demoed them before they all existed, and then they came to exist over you know the next fifty years. <laughs> so he's generally seen as just a visionary in interaction design and super brilliant but this paper that is not easy to read it is apparently 50 pages to double-sided when you print it out augmenting human intellect a conceptual framework i will make that my pick since i read some of it uh and so the paper should you choose to read it uh, is a pretty interesting at least I like our recommendation for a reading group was read the introduction and then maybe read, uh, section three examples and dis- discussion, uh, to cause, cause examples and discussion generally has more stories in it, which is cool. But the idea that so humans have a general, like we have our intellect or whatever you would call that. And then, but so if I told you to to multiply 27 by 9, you could do it in your head given some time probably. But if I gave you a piece of paper and a pencil, you could do it in a very trivial amount of time. And in addition, not only that, if I also gave you a piece of paper and a pencil, I could ask you to you know, multiply a five digit number by another five digit number and you can do it in a trivial amount of time. So by adding tools to humans, you actually augment the human intellect and like that's the argument is that you couldn't multiply those numbers as quickly without that tooling. So it's pretty interesting uh, history of computing stuff, really a good thing to know about. It's from 1962. That is my pick. Mm -hmm.
0: Uh, So my pick, since I've been playing with React all week, is uh, Ember, uh, Ember Ember.js. It's really nice to have a framework where you know where to put things. Uh, And then for my non-tech pick, I am going to pick uh, a show on USA, but I watch it on iTunes, called Mr. Robot. I heard people talking about it, and it is basically Fight Club, except with hackers whose hacking exploits are like 75% accurate, which is uh, amazingly good for representations of technology On TV. Uh, Jervon, do you have a pick?
2: Yeah. So I wanted to pick the latest Dr. Dre album, but it's only available on Apple Music, as far as I can tell. So if you have Apple Music, check out the Dr. Dre album. If not, my other pick, my other music pick is a band called Local Natives. Um, They're pretty chill, good group. And then um, my programming pick is uh, Homebrew Slash uh, Brew Cask. Um, so I got a new computer this week, and I made a homebrew file and installed all the software that I needed, and I was done. And if I need to change something, I can just update it and Git or add something. Um, so yeah, homebrew uh, to install libraries, and then um, CAS for installing GUI applications.
0: So show notes are at turing.cool slash 60. Follow us on Twitter at turingcool, and I'll talk to you guys next week. Bye. Bye.